Zoom meeting in progress thing on there. Hold on. Okay. On my uh, on my office door. All right, here we go. Um, all right. Well, welcome today, friends, to this Truett Seminary, Truett Church Network webinar that we're uh, participating in Alumni Week, along with the other um, 11 schools and institutions and centers around campus. We're thankful for um, Ashley Futurist, Mandy Anderson, and uh, Dean Todd Steele for the invitation to participate in this today. Um, on this very important week in the life of our university, this first alumni week. Um, we'll let our, our guests introduce each other here or introduce themselves here in a minute. Um, what we want to talk about today is uh, Baylor and Truett Seminary's mission and vision to serve the church. Baylor University does many wonderful things, but from our inception, um, serving the church and being an extension of and a gift to the church has been part of the core of Baylor's mission and vision. And we're always striving to do that. And increasingly, Truett Seminary forms part of the tip of the spear for how Baylor University does this. And that begins often at Truett with our faculty and what they are writing, what they are researching, um, what they are teaching, and how they serve the church. And that's really what we want to discuss today. Um, so I'll let our, our faculty introduce themselves today. I'm Matt Holmeyer, first off. I'm an assistant dean for um, external Affairs Director of the Truett Church Network and, and moderating and kind of guiding discussion today. Um, and Angela, why don't you begin us? Hi, I am Reverend Dr. Angela Gorell, and I am Assistant Professor of Practical Theology here at Truett Seminary. Hey, everybody. My name is Reverend Dr. Jared Alcantara, and I'm an Associate Professor of Preaching here at Truett Seminary. I came in 2018 and happy to join you, Matt. Thanks for having me. I think you're, you're muted, Dr. Creech. I am Reverend Dr. Robert Creech, and I have been at Truett for 11 years. This is number 12, and I teach uh, pastoral leadership. And we thank you for intentionally muting to provide comic relief for the webinar. That was uh, <laughs> well played. We appreciate I'll it. I'll probably do it again later. <laughs> <laughs> all the world we live in. We've all, all been guilty of that, even after all of these Zooms over the past year. Um, well, we thought I might just, we might just start and we'll get into several uh, other territories perhaps, but just to share about some of what you all ha have been writing on, researching on, much of which has come to fruition or is about to come to fruition uh, and be available for the public. And so, again, we might uh, really start with whoever wants to jump in and share, what are you all working on right now? And, and how is it, uh, how do you hope it will be blessing Truett, blessing Baylor and blessing the church? Well, I can get started. Uh, so recently, just in the last couple of months, uh, the the uh, introduction to preaching textbook that I wrote in English came out in Spanish. My last name Alcantara. My father's from Honduras in Central America, and one of my one of my passions in my work is uh, to make things available both in English and in Spanish to do pre uh, preaching, teaching, lecturing, uh, and uh, other forms of ministry uh, in both of those spaces: Spanish speaking spaces, English speaking spaces. So that's a commitment. Uh, that book, uh, Las Prácticas de la Predicación Cristiana, that might be a mouthful if you don't know Spanish, The Practices of Christian Preaching, uh, came out with Baker recently. Uh, another area of work that uh, is, is an ongoing area of research is work in African-American preaching. Uh, did my dissertation on a, a, a well-known uh, preacher of preachers, Gardner C. Taylor. So that work has 
continued in that area. Uh, the, the book that'll come out in a couple of weeks is called Let the Legends Preach. It's a collection of sermons from living legends who received a uh, living legend award at a conference called the E.K. Bailey Preaching Conference, one of the great and premier uh, African-American preaching conferences in the nation and has attracted uh, people from all over the world uh, who come to that conference. So I'm excited about that. That's coming out in a few weeks. I'm also uh, doing some other projects, um, a book on uh, preaching Proverbs, which is uh, an area of interest and passion, and then an autobiographical work on a, a preacher named Joseph H. Jackson, who was a, a phenomenal <clears throat> preacher in, in Chicago and uh, president of the National Baptist Convention for many years, the largest black denomination in the world. So that's just what I'm up to these days. And uh, that also is a way to name some of my uh, research interests and passions. Tell us, who are some of the preachers that will be in the uh, the preachers featured in the E.K. Bailey Conference? Who are some of those that will be in there? Yes, well, I won't name all 24 who received the Living Legend Award. I'll just name a couple. Well, I mentioned Gardner Taylor. Some, so there's multiple generations. Gardner Taylor, Caesar Clark, Manuel Scott. Those were some of the early recipients. There's a chapter devoted to E.K. Bailey, who passed away of nasal cancer uh, more than 15 years ago now. Some recent awardees, uh, Robert Smith, who teaches preaching at Beeson Divinity School, and our own Joel Gregory, uh, who teaches preaching here at Truett, uh, have received that award. And so there's a short section on each of uh, the living legends, uh, you know, a short biographical sketch, followed by the, the sermon that they preach. There are some lectures in there, since yeah. some uh, of the living legends chose to lecture rather than preach during their, their session. So that's just a couple names. Man, I remember when Dr. Gregory received that like, maybe three years ago, two years ago, and Ralph West preached at the reception of the award on Eli Elisha following Elijah was mm -hmm. one of the most brilliant, creative, moving sermons um, I, I have heard and been a part of that experience. I remember that very well. Um, yeah, well, that'll be you. you sounds like you're busy, uh, Jared. That's a lot, a lot going on right now. Doing the best I can. I've got uh, got three kids who are growing like weeds, and uh, and also am honored to to be able to to do this ministry of writing as I also do a ministry of teaching and preaching as well. So yeah, just grateful for those opportunities. And when did you when did you get to Truett? Two thousand seventeen. No, I came in the summer of 2018. The hey. day that we closed on our house, it was 102 degrees, and I thought, Lord. Only, only you would have to call me, uh, but, uh, but at the same time, um, it's been a joy, a total delight and privilege to um, teach here, to, to be on this faculty with my colleagues, and to invest not only in uh, uh, seminarians who are doing their master's degree, but also uh, people who are doing the PhD in preaching, so to invest in the, you know, a future generation of preachers, but also a future generation of those who teach them, uh, just feels like a, a sweet spot or a, a sense uh, a sense of call that I have as well in terms of trying to steward my passions and gifts and commitments. We try to do those interviews about this time of year, and then you move in and close on your house in August. That's the way we try to set that up. <laughs> That's right. All the interviewees who come to Baylor uh, interview in late fall or early spring. Lock you into a 30-year mortgage so you got to stay a while and when it's when it's hot. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But we always tell them the weather's like this every day of the year. 
<laughs> in the in the spring when it's beautiful. <laughs> That's exactly right. Blue bonnets year round. Blue year, year round. round. Yeah. Dr. Creech, what about you? What are you working on right now, and how how it relates to the church? Well, um, kind of unintentionally, have sort of followed a trajectory of sort of filling some gaps in um, pastoral ministry. Uh, over the last maybe four or five years, I worked with um, Joe Truel to do a book on ministry ethics about four years ago, and then followed that uh, with a um, book on family systems and congregational life, which uh, working with Bowen Family Systems Theory has been sort of a side part of my research and interest. And um, apply, mostly Bowen systems has been applied to leadership, but I attempted in there to apply that to all the dimensions of pastoral ministry, spiritual formation, uh, um, pastoral care, a number of things, uh, hermeneutics. And then uh, the next year, uh, which was last year, uh, uh, did a second edition of a book on leadership and family systems theory called The Leader's Journey. And we my co-authors and I revised that by about 25% and uh, did a second edition. It had been out for about 20 years. And then um, right now I'm, I'm editing uh, the manuscript. I've got the galleys back from the publisher, a book on um, pastoral, uh, pastoral theology in the Baptist tradition, I think is the title they settled on for that. And this also was something of a gap. I had a was teaching life and work of the pastor a few years ago, and one of our students in there, Evelyn Ofong, um, kind of raised her hand, said about halfway through the semester, uh, we have a couple of Methodist voices here. We were reading Will Willimon and Tom Oden, and we've got a Lutheran voice. We were reading Richard Lishner, and, um, and she said, where's the Baptist voice? And I said, well, there's not one. I mean, there was really not a book on Baptist pastoral theology. And she said, well, then why don't you write that? And so that kind of was filed away in the back of my head. And I started working on that. Uh, we were talking before we got started here, um, I, <clears throat> Dr. Grell and Alcantara and I, and a couple of others in our practical theology department, Angela Reed and Mike Stroop, uh, had a practice over the last year or two of before COVID of um, meeting one Friday a month at the faculty center and reserving a room and uh, praying together, writing together, eating lunch together and uh, working on writing projects. And this book on pastoral theology I was came out of that. I wrote the book proposal for Baker Academic um, during that process. It'll come out in October, uh, it'll be in the fall catalog. And um, I'm pretty excited about that. So, uh, ethics and family systems theory and leadership and pastoral theology have been sort of areas where I've been working for the past four or five years. I love the story about y'all gathering together. I mean, what a, a just a great picture of, well, of a different day and time from the last year. It kind of makes us uh, uh, miss those days and look for them to come again, hopefully soon, but certainly of the collegiality and cooperation we we aim for we don't always hit it square in the mark but that we aim for it through it and that's a, a wonderful picture of that and I'm sure some great stories have come out of that um, and you said that the pastoral theology book will come out in September is that what you're hoping for uh, in October and I, I have relied on I've tried to be as broad as I could about Baptist voices 
who speak into this. Um, and so uh, as much as possible from what's published, uh, I, I tried to use Baptist in the broadest sense possible. And so Baptists from various cultures and both men and women and, uh, and asking the question, what have Baptists said about what it means to be a pastor and to do the work of a pastor? That's kind of the questions I'm trying mm -hmm. to answer in there. Um, and uh, so every chapter has the same outline. It's got uh, biblical background on the topic, say preaching, and then um, it'll have historical bypaths, which is what have Baptists said or what have been in our confessions of faith or um, our sermons. And then the third part is theological reflection, which is just some of my own reading, uh, speaking into some aspect of, of that topic. And um, uh, Jared was one of my consultants uh, in that process as I was working on <clears throat> trying to get some information on uh, Gardner Taylor and, and others. In fact, this was, I wrote this, this is written in the acknowledgements, but almost every time I had a question about Baptist uh, view on certain things, and I would start looking in, you know, the libraries and the index indices, um, it was my colleagues there. There were people down the hall who were the expert on that. And so <laughs> I, I uh, regularly called on those folks and uh, they were, you know, they contributed uh, greatly. I really appreciated having that kind of uh, resource right at my fingertips. So if one were teaching life and work of the pastor this fall, it won't be out quite in time for that class, huh? Not quite. If you, right. if one were teaching that, it would come out in October. And so you could require students to purchase it uh, and uh, use it in the second half of the, of the, the term. But, uh, All right. I may, I may have to look into that. We may have to look into that. Uh, well, thank you, Dr. Creech. Dr. Gorell. Well, hello, everyone, again. Um, I am really delighted to be able to share today, especially among two colleagues that um, on the faculty that I've worked alongside of, you know, writing as well. Like Dr. Creech was saying, um, it was actually in that group that um, I edited my most recent book. It was just such a gift to me. I came to Truett. I'm one of the newest faculty members here. I came here in fall 2019, just in time for the pandemic, which was uh, really, <laughs> which honestly, I'm very glad though that um, it's it's just been, it's amazing. I absolutely love working at Truett. I, everyone who asks me, I tell people I've had the warmest welcome. I love working here. It's been just amazing. And so I'm really, I'm, yeah, I'm grateful. And I'm also, I'm doing a, a commercial for Topo Chico today. So. <laughs> if, <laughs> so I'm also, I'm doing that. Um, so Truett Seminary sponsored by Topo Chico. We this is in that supplemental I, income category, right? I, and, and LaCroix. <laughs> <laughs> we should we should get them to pay us for this um so i yeah i um i think the best way to talk about my work is to tell a little a little story which anybody who knows me knows that i tell stories all the time um i you i came to Truett from yale university i was working at the yale center for faith and culture as a researcher on a team with miroslav wolf and um, we were doing, I was a researcher for a project called the Joy and the Good Life Project. And so for three and a half years, my job was to study joy and visions of the good life in contemporary culture here in the United States, especially. Um, and as a Christian to think about that um, specifically from a Christian perspective. Um, but uh, so Miroslav, when he finished his PhD, 
he was talking to his PhD mentor, who was Jürgen Moltmann, and he's talking to uh, Professor Moltmann, and he's just like, you know, okay, I have my PhD, like, what do I do? What do I do next? Help me out, you know? And uh, which is funny if you know Miroslav Volf's work because he figured it out pretty, he, he's done all right, um, you know. So, but Professor Moltmann looks at him and he said, Miroslav, find issues that matter to people and shine the light of the gospel on them. And when I heard that story, I resonated so deeply with what Professor Moltmann had said to uh, Miroslav, um, my friend and colleague now. Um, my former boss, but now he's my friend. Um, <laughs> uh, so I resonated so deeply and I just thought, you know, I think that that is what I feel very called to as someone who felt deeply like called to ministry in seventh grade. I've been, I was in ministry for 14 years before becoming a professor and mostly to youth and young adults and children and families. Um, and, you know, I, I felt like, yes, as a researcher, as a professor, as a writer, I really want to speak to the things that keep people awake at night. And one of the things that I think keeps a lot of us awake at night and certainly has been at the forefront of our minds for the last year is media. <laughs> and so I thought I want to I want to spend some time and I've, I've spent the last decade of my life attending to various issues in the new media landscape. So how does our use of social media and other forms of new media impact our relationships with each other? our sense of self, our identity formation? How does it impact our religious practices, the way that we relate to God? Um, and, and so I wrote a book about that, um, which is basically for Christian leaders of all kinds, like lay leaders, staff at churches, to be able to use to help people in their Christian communities to think theologically about the new media landscape, to think about how their social media use and other forms of new media use um, is, can be integrated with their faith, how, it, how to make sense of how to move in this landscape in light of our faith. And that book is called Always On, Practicing Faith in a New Media Landscape. It came out in May, 2019. I had no idea that about nine months later, we would literally all be always on. <laughs> um, so that was kind of wild. Yeah, um, and then I um, I wrote a chapter for it, like in line with this new media stuff. I wrote a chapter on quick Christian witness in a transhumanist era for a, a book that just came out in the fall. It's called Techno Sapiens in a Networked Era. And hmm. so what um, in that in that chapter, basically, if you're interested in sort of transhumanism and like what's on the uh, what's coming in the future in the new media landscape, if you're that kind of uh, you know a futuristic media person who's like, whoa, what's coming? And how do we think about this as Christians? That book is dedicated to those kinds of questions. Um, and then um, just a, a little recently, um, a couple months ago, um, a book came out that I wrote a chapter for as well. During the pandemic, um, there a, a group of us came together and we wrote cha chapters for a book that's called In This Together, Ministry in Times of Crisis. Hmm. And it's about literally ministry during the pandemic. What has happened? What did we see people doing? Um, what were the benefits and challenges of this time? What could be coming? Um, how do we make sense of the of, you know, the, the ministry that we've all been doing in the midst of this pandemic. And so, yeah, that book's available as well. And then, um, but but my great passion right now is talking about a book that came out that um, my second book, uh, my second monologue, I should, or, you know, monogram. <laughs> what am I trying to say right now? I don't know. Monograph. Monograph, thank you. <laughs> it's like, you all, I have been talking nonstop about this book, which means that my brain is tired and, um, you know, but I'm, I'm so, yeah, there it is. 
I have this one. See, it's literally top of the stack. Top of the stack. Next week. Yeah, like, oh my goodness. I feel terrible. I don't, I'm not in my office, so I don't have my other copies to be able to show everybody else's books. Okay. But um, yeah, my, my most recent book or my second book that um, is just me is a book called The Gravity of Joy, A Story of Being Lost and Found. And um, this book, um, it, so eight months into working on the Joy Project at Yale, um, and there's really no, you know, it's, it's I'm going to say this quickly, but um, it took me a lot of months and a lot of time writing and thinking, and it's been four years since this happened to be able to say it this way. But basically in four weeks, um, about eight months into the project, I lost three of my family members. Uh, one to suicide, Dustin at 30 years old, my nephew Mason at 22 of sudden cardiac arrest, and then my dad um, about five days after Mason's funeral died um, after 12 years of opioid use. And um, obviously it was the most devastating like four weeks of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't until a year and a half later that I began to make sense of like my work at Yale and everything that had happened. But basically I became a, a chaplain at a women's, women's uh, prison with women on suicide watch. Most of whom, most of the women in my Bible study were in prison for uh, a crime related to addiction. And um, I became very passionate about helping the church and helping Christians to think about uh, soaring suicide rates in America. Um, I became very passionate about also I'm, I, about helping people to understand the opioid crisis that really has been going on since the 1970s um, here in the, you know, in the United States um, because it really started in urban communities among black Americans, but it really wasn't attended too well until the early 2000s when it became more of a middle or to upper class problem. And then all of a sudden people wanted to care about it. Um, but, uh, or some people did, but it's still like a very much a problem in the United States. And so, um, but then also mass incarceration. And so this book is a strange, interesting, like a set of stories that tells the story of how joy is a counter agent to despair. And ultimately this book is addressing despair. And I'm, argue, I'm arguing that mass incarceration is uh, a consequence of despair, that uh, suicide rates and also um, opioid, the opioid crisis are all, um, they, these are de deaths of despair and, and joy is a counter agent to despair. And so what does the church, um, what does it mean for the church to think about joy as a counter agent of despair? What is joy? How do we understand it more deeply? How do we become more open to it? And how do we all join the groundswell of people who are attending to these three crises um, in the United States um, in concrete ways? So, yeah. And that's excellent. It is literally on the top of my stack, next thing to read. I've heard uh, so many that have, are enjoying it and appreciating it. I mean, this is an off the cuff question. We didn't plan this, but uh, you know, we're, we're living now in light of, of this mass shooting in Atlanta earlier this week. Um, and, and pandemic sort of has lowered the numbers of shootings, but before pandemic, there was just one every week, if not every couple of days. Um, do you see some of the same things that were, as you've studied joy in, in response to despair, um, that that might be in, you know, that despair is at the root of this pandemic of violence, so to speak, that is out there as well? Oh, certainly. I think that, um, I mean, I, I, I study, I think it's important to say that anything I say about despair, I'm going to say as a theologian, mm -hmm. rather than, you know, a psychologist or psychiatrist, though I do look, think about how psychology plays into mental distress. 
But as a theologian, I think that despair is um, the sense that life has become meaningless or hopeless, but also that, um, that no one can reach you, that you no longer have a connection with other people, that your life does not matter anymore. And um, yeah, I think that, that certainly that can be going on when, it, um, when someone uh, commits an act of violence, like a mass shooting. Um, but I also think it's very important to name that while that person may be experiencing despair, that also oftentimes mass shootings, as we see, saw in Charleston, as what I think I saw in Atlanta, are, it's not just an act of like that's coming from despair, but it is an act of embodied racism. And, mm. and like, you know, it is, it's important, I think, to name that even the, if that person was struggling with a mental illness or was struggling with despair or something like that, I think it's important to say that this person also, um, this was an act of violence and an act of racism um, that was born of hatred. And um, Howard Thurman, I was just, you know, refreshing uh, my myself and Howard Thurman's work on hatred because we're, we're going to talk about it in my class on Monday, Jesus and the Meaning of Life. I had them read that, interestingly enough, this week for Monday. And he says that hatred begins with contact without fellowship, you know, and then it moves into, you know, an unsympathetic um understanding, which then turns to ill will, which becomes an act of hatred, of mm -hmm. hatred walking the earth, you know, and I think, I think that's what we see on Tuesday in Atlanta is somebody who is takes, um, who, who, yeah, it's ill will, it's hatred walking the earth. I think that that was what we see on Tuesday. And so what, what do we do to remedy such hatred? What do we do to remedy um, to begin to, to heal racism in America. I mean, part of that work, which so many people have commented on this and like, you know, written incredible volumes about this, but part of it is contact with fellowship. And we have to have relationships with each other um, and many other things that we could name, but. That's excellent. Thank you. That was not in our notes for today, but I think it's helpful and timely um, as we all grapple with, with our own yeah, responses to this and understanding. Um, Thank you all for sharing that. I mean, I think that is just tip of the iceberg of an exemplary of uh, roughly 20, 22 other faculty members that are writing and researching and really thinking every day um, about how you, what you are doing every day impacts the church. And it sort of flows from the church and hopefully flows to pastors, ministers, and the church. And I don't, I don't think it was incidental that I think each of you introduced yourselves as Reverend Doctor, that you are um, professor and you are a called minister of the gospel, ordained minister of the gospel. Um, if I can ask this, kind of in some of our closing thoughts here in our last five or six minutes, how is what you are writing? And so you are reverends, you are ordained ministers, you're calling, you know, your first love, as I visited with many of you, was, was to the church. And the academic calling sort of flowed from that. I think that's fair as you and I, you all and I, and I visited about that through the years. Um, how is what you're writing affecting how you are preparing ministers? Um, and just how you, your love of the church is, is growing and changing. Could anybody care to wade into that territory? I, I want to, I would speak to that. One, one is uh, when I, the, the things I've written recently, I have, um, two audiences in mind. One are people uh, who are serving in congregations and those, the other is students who are preparing to serve in congregations and just sort of that whole stream of life there. Uh, those are the people to whom 
I, I write and, and who I have in mind when I'm uh, doing that. Uh, you ask about how our commitment to the church has changed, I think. Um, I spent, I've, I've spent my whole long life um, with one foot in both of those worlds. And I've been pastor for more than 20 years. And the whole time I was pastor, I was teaching as an adjunct at some place. And then I've been about 20 years a professor. And the whole time I've been professor, uh, I have been doing interim pastorates and working with congregations. It's just, those are just, they're both part, they, they're, they're not separable from me. And um, one of the things the COVID uh, year has done for me, uh, I went for a year without preaching face to face and being in public worship. I've been doing this for worship and it's, there's been some satisfaction to that. I have to admit to be every week I can be with people and, and we talk and we're in small groups, but I, uh, a month ago tomorrow, I'm going to preach again at this little church nearby tomorrow. And a month ago I preached it, and that was the first time in a year. And the Psalm, I was glad when they said to me that it took on completely different meaning, you know, um, I miss being with God's people in congregational life and in church. And it's been a real grief and a real loss not to have that as a regular part of life. And so um, if anything, the year has made that more precious for me is it matters to me mm -hmm. to be present with God's people in worship and service. Hmm. I went from February to July without preaching, which was probably the longest I had gone since I was 18, 17. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I understood Ezekiel's fire in the bones. I was almost physically itchy um, on Sundays and the weeks leading up when I, I mean, I ended up writing things just for myself and thinking through that you just realize this is such a part of not just my routine, but my calling. And when you read scripture and you're reading devotionally, it, it, it needs to get out of me, you know, and, um, and to finally, when I started preaching online a few places, I mean, yeah, it was, it was like, ah, like it, it's getting, anyway, I, I resemble that, Robert. Jared, Angela, anything you want to add to that? That was, that was pretty good. It's hard to top. I mean, I'll just say that I think um, I'm really interested in making sure that uh, the classes that I teach at Truett and also I have the honor this, this semester of working with some undergrads as well. So I have undergrads and graduate students together in the same class. It's on Mondays, Jesus in the Meaning of Life. And what we're trying to do in that class is to think about a new way of discipleship. Um, and so I'm really interested in um, new forms of Christian education and formation, uh, more participatory forms where there's a lot more dialogue um, in different kinds of Christian edu religious educational spaces and stuff like that. And so in this, in Jesus and the Meaning of Life, we address some of the most important questions that we need to answer as human beings. And basically the, but I'll just say that we, we address several questions, but one the, the, the central question of the class is what kind of life is worthy of our humanity? And, um, and so I am really hoping that this class 
equips young people, um, the young people in this class, they're all young people, um, <laughs> to, uh, to think about, you know, what does it look like to think about discipleship in that way of helping people to answer a question like this, and then to live into the answers that they articulate. Um, but also I teach a new class here at Truett that I created um, specifically for Truett that's called Ministry with Youth and Emerging Adults or Foundations of Ministry with Youth and Emerging Adults. And I'm really excited about that class and about what's what's to come in youth and young adult ministry at Truett in the next few years and things that we're planning and that we're rolling out related to a major research study we want to do, uh, a group of us here and stuff like that. And so um, I think when I think about my classes, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, what do the, what do students need to be prepared to do in five years or in 10 years? Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of having an eye toward the future, like how is what is the changing religious, you know, landscape and ecclesial landscape, uh, specifically in the United States, but beyond as well? And I mean, how do we prepare students for that? That's a great word. I'd say for me, uh, you know, uh, having served in in churches uh, for for years before uh, going into uh, my doctoral program and eventually uh, teaching and writing. Uh, it's it's come for me in different uh, ways. You know, when I was a pastor, people would sometimes come up to me and say, you just love the life of the mind. You know, is that something that you're considering? And are you discerning whether that would be uh, something that, that you would pursue? And now that I'm on this side of it, whenever I'm out preaching, people say, have you considered being a pastor? You know, they don't know my story, you know, because that just that, that sense of a pastoral heart for uh, for the people of God, the life of the church. For my students now, you know, for the, the that sense of, of, of longing to see um, growth, transformation, uh, healing, preparation, all of that uh, is near and dear to me. Uh, and I think at this phase in my life and in my ministry, I can bring together these passions. I can bring together a passion for the local church, a passion for theological education. And then this third passion, really, which is um, a passion for... Um, identification, representation at both the intercultural and global levels. So in my discipline in preaching, there are stories that have not yet been told. There are voices that have not yet been named. There are preaching traditions. So it's a, so it's a much deeper, wider river uh, than, than we've ever even really considered. And so I'm energized by that. I'm, I'm curious, uh, curious by that. Uh, kind of like what Dr. Gorel was saying, thinking ahead as well, as we think about the needs and opportunities of an intercultural church with an intercultural future, Mm -hmm. uh, what what does it mean to bring uh, marginalized voices to the center? Uh, What does it mean to to create spaces of not only representation and identification, but but for, for all our students to see that the river is wider and deeper than, uh, than perhaps what, what has been told to them uh, before, or what their experiences have been. So just to, to get to participate in that, uh, in the classroom, in my writing, uh, in, uh, in my preaching ministry is just, just a profound joy and a profound privilege. When COVID came, uh, like, like many of you, uh, there, were the, there was this long gap. I, I became much more uh, sympathetic and appreciative of what it's like to preach to a green dot in an empty room. <laughs> Uh, when I was used to connecting with people and and uh, and and that presence, um, but at the same time, uh, th- that's that's also a, 
something that I've wanted to try to resource people with. So now students are learning how to upload sermons if they've never done that before. Uh, and, uh, and that's helping them try some things on, do some things differently, uh, perhaps interrogate some of their assumptions that they might have brought before uh, in order uh, to, to be better and more faithful communicators of the gospel. So, so that's uh, also part of how I've been growing into this, this new normal, which hopefully won't be a normal for much longer. Yeah. Well, y'all, thank you for your time today, um, taking time out of busy schedules to, uh, to bless our, our constituency and our donors and alumni and friends um, with sharing a little bit about this. Sitting where I do at Truett, uh, I teach a little, but I'm kind of between students and faculty sometimes, but I'm not on. So I have a lot of students come in and just talk about their future ministries and their sense of calling and their experience. And uh, almost every single time, uh, students that have been in your classes light up and, and you can see passion stirred when they talk about their experiences <laughs> learning with the three of you. Um, and many other of our professors as well, but I can say that about you three, you, you mentor and you serve so well and so faithfully. Um, you make me proud to be an alumnus of Truett um, and give me joy uh, to work alongside you in this task that we, we share together. And so um, thank you for your love of our students and our church and our institution. And, Just a uh, clarification question. They don't light up after their class with me is over, right? <laughs> no, that's right. During and then when they talk about okay, it, they relight up. Yeah. And okay. Engages. Jared, thank goodness what that's I, over. <laughs> Jared, what I heard is at the end of every one of your class periods, there's a great awakening. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We have I, fun. We have fun. Matt, Matt, I would want to say I'm I'm one of the about half of the faculty that will be off the scene soon. We're I'm retiring in another year, and there are a number moving that way. But uh, folks like Angela and Jared, and we've got others on our faculty, Rebecca Hayes, and some others that are younger faculty coming on, uh, just makes me really excited about what the future of Truett is and how well this school is going to continue to prepare a church for whatever future God has uh, in this culture. Uh, it's pretty exciting. We have rock stars coming on. I mean, uh, and I'm not joking. So uh, we, we're really happy about that. It really is exciting. I mean, from being affiliated with Truett for just about 20 years now as a student, pastor, and then uh, now employee, that each new faculty member seems to bring something fresh and new and needed to the table. And yet we've somehow maintained a good shared ethos that stayed fairly consistent throughout. And that's that's a work of the spirit, I believe. I mean, that that's something that's really hard just to plan but continues to happen is exciting. And, and I will humbly say I was on the search committees that called these two. So I just <laughs> humbly say You weren't that, the so. dissenting vote though, right? You no, were, I wasn't. The you were pro vote. us? Okay, just want to be sure. I was the decisive vote, but not the dissenting vote. <laughs> okay. No, well, and friend. I want to say, I wanted, we wanted, to, I bet that you would say the same thing. Like I wanted to come to Truett because of the, the committee that hired me. Hmm. I mean- me too. Like literally, it was like Robert, Mike, Angela. I mean, like you know, Brian. Just the like the just talking to you all, relating to you all over those months. I was like, wow, those are people that I want to be colleagues of. Like they are amazing human beings. 
So, and Reverend Holmeyer, thank you so much <laughs> for your questions today and for guiding us and for all that you do here at Truett, for the network that you, uh, for the Center for Ministry Effectiveness that you run, for all the classes you teach, for all that you contribute to this place, you know, um, yeah. And thanks to everybody that's a part of this, like listening with us, you know, all that you do, you know, to support this seminary, send us your people. Tell it, you know, send them to us. We want to, we want to, you know, and we want to partner with you. We want to learn from you. Yeah. That that's well said. That's a good, a good word to end on. Blessings, everyone. Have a great rest of the day. Bye-bye. Good to be with you.